Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 8. 2 Corinthians 12, 8. I am going to be reading to you in the New International Version of the Bible this morning, and I'll explain a little later why I've chosen that for the morning. It says here in 2 Corinthians 12, 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The Apostle Paul is talking about his prayer life here in a particular request that God would relieve him from what he calls a thorn in his flesh. A thorn in the flesh. Uh, We don't know exactly what the thorn in the flesh was. There are a couple plausible explanations, perhaps blindness, because he does refer in other books of the Bible to an eyesight challenge, perhaps uh, some kind of internal... uh, upset, which would be so very common in the Bible days. Perhaps it was just the persecution of of his enemies that he was referring to. Whatever was the thorn in the flesh, he talks here about praying three distinct times for the Lord to remove it. I imagine, don't you, do you agree with this, that the Apostle Paul would have prayed as fervently and as imbued with faith as any man has ever prayed? Do you agree with that? Do you expect that the Apostle Paul would have been a man of fervent prayer, effectual prayer, prayer of faith, knowledgeable prayer, prayer with expectations? I would say that we could wish to be as inspired and effective in prayer as the Apostle Paul was, I would expect that most of us would readily admit that we're not even going to try to measure ourselves against the Apostle Paul when it came to praying. He had amazing experiences in prayer and amazing answered prayer. Now, he talks about praying three times, for the thorn in the flesh to be taken away from him. Did he pray a fourth time for that thorn in the flesh to be removed from him? I would say highly unlikely. Because to pray the same thing a fourth time after the Lord told him my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. Once the Lord gave him that message, I think it would have been refusing the message to pray about the thorn in the flesh a fourth time. At least to pray that God would remove the thorn in the flesh a a fourth time. It would have been like saying, oh no, Lord, your grace is not sufficient. Sufficient means enough. Your grace is not enough. I've got to have the thorn in the flesh removed. As I've been saying in this little series, Christians are not 
desperate to have the challenge removed from their lives. Christians are desperate to get through the challenges of their lives. Amen? I'm not saying or suggesting that the Apostle Paul stopped praying. Certainly he continued praying. He tells us in one of, his, one of the books that he wrote, Pray Without Ceasing. And he tells almost every church that he writes to, I cease not to pray for you. He hadn't quit. But the Lord spoke to him after his third prayer. And let me paraphrase what the Lord said. Paul, you've prayed enough for relief from your thorn in the flesh. I want you to pray differently now. Pray to me a fourth time, but pray to me differently when you pray to me the fourth time. Pray for grace. Pray for endurance. Pray to continue. Pray to handle your challenge well. So this morning I would like to give you an IOU about the spirit of importunity, we call it. What about the spirit of importunity in praying without ceasing? a teaching that we receive from our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's go look at two passages where Jesus teaches us about praying with the spirit of importunity. Luke 18, 1. I'll read it more quickly than I usually read passages of the Bible to you. says here, and he spake a parable unto them to this end. Let me go back and read it again in the NIV, as I promised. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who never feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so she won't eventually come and attack me. I could imagine Jesus chuckling as he tells this parable, smiling at the humor embedded within it. Verse 6 says, And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. I will not, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice. And quickly, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Why does the Lord say at the end there, however? Because sometimes you have to endure injustice until the Lord comes back. Let's look at the other passage where Jesus teaches about the spirit of importunity in Luke chapter 11. B 
beginning with verse 8. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I don't believe that the Apostle Paul, in telling us about his personal experience of praying to the Lord three times to have the thorn in the flesh removed from him, I don't believe for one second that he's trying to teach us that we should stop praying. I'm certainly not teaching you to stop praying. But we should be, while we're in prayer, we should be open to being steered, to being guided in prayer, and to change what we're praying for. Same situation, same challenge, but a slightly different direction in prayer. I don't think we should be so insistent with the Lord that he has to give us an egg. Or so insistent with the Lord and audacious and impudent and have the spirit of opportunity for him to give us a fish. Bread. Or even justice. He will give us justice. There's an eternity ahead of us to make all the injustices right. What we should be very insistent about with the Lord is receiving the Holy Spirit. Don't let go of that. Keep on going back to him for the Holy Spirit. Paul became enlightened while praying. That's what we should seek. We also should seek to be enlightened while we pray, to learn and to grow while we pray. We should seek enlightenment even above relief from our fleshly thorn from any fleshly outcome. Paul, the apostle, oh, he was a worker. This was a, this was a hard worker, a participant. He was an achiever all of his life. He was a man of action. He had a very much of a take-charge spirit. He was a take-charge kind of guy. But he had to be steered while he was in prayer to go beyond his personal makeup as a take-charge guy. 
This thorn in the flesh is bothering me. This thorn in the flesh is hindering me. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to pray to God and get relief from this thorn in the flesh, from this thing that is pestering me, irritating me, hindering me, distracting me. I'm going to take charge. The Lord said, my grace is enough for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Except, Paul, you're weak. Embrace the weakness. Rest. Stop striving when it comes to the thorn. Strive for other things instead. His eyes were opened while he was praying. Oh, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Of course. I see it on the cross. I see it in Jesus Christ. Arrested. Imprisoned. Unjustly tried. How much did he fight it? He accepted it. He lived with it. Did he stop being for one moment a man of prayer? He continued as a man of prayer through his entire ordeal. Paul was steered or guided while he was praying. Can we also be steered away from our first request to a new and better request? Rather than being spoiled children that must have what we wish, can we be humble learners, humble disciples, broken before the Lord? I'm here to learn. Teach me, O God. Good prayer, right? Teach me, O God. I'm here to learn, O Lord. Teach me, O God. Give me strength to go through this. Teach me. I want to learn. I want the beautiful, amazing experience of going through this with you. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Paul's first prayer was, take this thorn in the flesh away from me. His reformed prayer, after he learned from a message from the Lord, became more like this. Help me carry on. Perfect your power in me. He began to pray for endurance. You're not going to spot Christians by looking around for the guy who lives the charmed life and never has a problem. And the person who, it it always goes well for him. He just seems to skip and dance through life. Never seems to have a problem or a challenge. You're not going to spot the Christians by looking for that guy. I don't even know where that guy is. Where is that guy? that skips through life from beginning to end. You're going to find the Christian when you look for someone who doesn't quit on his faith, 
And he doesn't quit on his way of life. He doesn't quit on his practice. He hangs in there. The Apostle Paul was called to be a preacher, a church planter. Did he stop any of that because of the thorn in the flesh? Absolutely not. He continued to be faithful to his call. Paul uh, speaks in 2 Corinthians for a number of chapters about the credibility issue that he was facing with the church in Corinth. He had a credibility uh, challenge that he was speaking to. Well, we're not going to pay a lot of attention to that this morning. We don't need the Apostle Paul to establish his credibility with us here this morning. Amen? We respect him. We're ready to listen to him. And I'll be honest with you, today's preacher, Brother Brian, he is not trying to establish his credibility with you this morning either. How about your credibility? How will you establish your credibility in Christ, both with man and with God? You will establish your credibility by enduring by enduring the challenges that come upon your life. And you will not only establish your credibility with people, maybe you in your long experience in life have become somewhat jaded toward people. You sort of don't believe in anybody. You've kind of given up on people. Well, that's a a terrible experience. development in your life. I, I feel bad for, about that. I, I hope you work your way out of that because it's really not the kind of human being God wants you to be. It's a pretty sad place to be and a miserable place to be. It's a lot happier to try to trust people and make yourself vulnerable to people. But that aside, how about God? Jesus said, he that endures to the end shall be saved. By enduring, you establish your credibility with God. God becomes, in a sense, a believer in you. Paul spends a long passage here in 2 Corinthians talking about his own credibility. He starts in in chapter 10. It's just solid credibility issue in chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12, and he doesn't let it go completely in chapter 13 either. That's a lot. Especially by Bible standards, to stay on one topic like that for that many verses, for, to spend that much ink on a topic, particularly a topic that is very much related to him personally and his personal relationship with the Corinthian church, I have to admit to you that it is so long, this passage about his dealing with his credibility is so long and rather strident that it makes me, I'm just admitting to you that that honestly, it makes me uncomfortable. The Word of God is very gracious to us in this passage from Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, 11, 12, 13. 
to allow us to view an important man's history and his struggle with being unappreciated and doubted. It is not a favorite part of the Bible to me, though. It's not going to be, you say, Brother Brian, what's your favorite part of the Bible? What's your favorite chapter? What's your favorite passage? What's your favorite set of verses? Oh, it's a loaded question. It could be answered in a lot of different ways. But I'll tell you, this will not make it as my favorite. Not my favorite. It's talking about his credibility, his credibility, his credibility. It, it, honestly, because it, in spite of the instructive details that are there, I'm glad it's part of the Word of God. It makes me feel uncomfortable. However, in the final analysis, the Apostle Paul cares more about the Corinthian church than he does about how anybody thinks about him. He cares more about the Corinthian church than his credibility with the Corinthian church, and he wants very much to do right by them. All right, I'm just trying to be a good student and presenter of the Word of God this morning by telling you that. I want to skip over that, all that credibility issue, to where the Apostle Paul begins to express, once again, his concern for the the spiritual welfare of the Corinthians. Go to 13.5, 2 Corinthians 13.5. He says to the Corinthians... You can read chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13 later. Thirteen five. Examine yourselves, Corinthians. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Test yourselves as to whether Jesus Christ is alive and working in you. I don't want to this morning test the Corinthians. I don't want to test Paul. I want to say this morning, may we test ourselves. May each of us test ourselves in Christ. Examine ourselves. Put ourselves to the test. How are we doing In chapter uh, 13, verse 9b, the second half of the verse, the apostle says, and our prayer is that you may be fully restored. All right, put it together. Examine yourselves as to whether you're in Christ, and we pray that you be fully restored. If any of you in your self-examination finds yourself lacking in Christ, we pray for you that you will be fully restored. The King James Bible in verse 9b says, And this also we wish, even your perfection. We're used to the King James Bible talking about the goal of perfection. Be ye perfect as I am perfect, saith the Lord. 
Be perfect. We're, we're admonished and encouraged to be perfect. And we understand that means to grow into maturity, to be mature Christians. And the King James Bible uses the word perfection in 9b. It's what Paul ceaselessly prayed for in regards to the Corinthian church, their advancement. But the Greek word translated restored here is enlightening. It's enlightening in a way because of what it is not. We who have grown up on the King James Bible are used to seeing the goal perfection. Be perfect. It's always coming from the same Greek word, teleos. Teleos, to be perfect or mature, complete, finished in a sense. In 2 Corinthians 13, 9b, our prayer is that you may be fully restored. It's not teleos. That is the common Bible word, Greek word, to refer to improving yourself, growing, polishing in Christ, tweaking, perfecting. You're saved, but you know, all of us, nobody's perfect, so we have to keep tweaking, polishing, improving, maturing. It's a process of becoming better and better in Christ. That is not that process of tweaking, improving, polishing, editing, if you will, yourself in Christ is actually not what the apostle is referring to here. And that's why I chose the NIV this morning. Because the NIV uses the English word restored that you would be fully restored. Restored has a very different meaning than be perfected or be perfect. Very different. The Greek word is catartesis. Catartesis. This is the only time in the whole Bible that it is used. But it is related to a, another very common word, catartizo, catartizo, which means to mend and restore. And you see it just a few verses away. In 2 Corinthians 13, 11, again, this is the New International Version. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. The King James Bible says, be perfect. But again, it's not teleos. It's cartizo. Two translations are expressing a very important difference. They're very different, and my opinion is that the New International Version got it right, and the King James Version is a miss. A near miss, but an important miss. Perfect or perfect, its verb form, means to improve what is there. There's something good there, just tweak it, improve it, polish it, 
edit it. Restore means something has been lost and needs to be mended, fixed, reestablished. You need to regain ground that you've lost. Means something has been lost. There's backward movement. Perfect doesn't mean that. Perfect means you, you might have been headed forward, headed in the right direction all along, and you just need to keep on going until you reach that stage of maturity. Just keep on going. Keep on polishing. Keep on adjusting. Keep on tweaking. That certainly is part of the Christian experience. We should do that. But this is, it's, these verses aren't referring to that process. They're referring instead to where somebody went backward for a while. They lost something for a while. They're injured, wounded, defeated, discouraged. And you don't want to tell them, keep going, because they're headed in the wrong direction. Don't keep going. Stop and seek the Lord for restoration. Full restoration. Complete restoration. That's what we're praying for. Complete restoration. Who am I accusing this morning in the church? Nobody. I told you, examine yourself. Examine yourself. What direction have you been headed? Cartizo is translated in these contexts. Mend nets. Mend your nets. Maybe we have to mend our networks. Mend our networks. Maybe we've stepped back out of fellowship. Stepped back out of our networks of communication, fellowship, friendship, helping. Stepped back from the network of the church. Along with the Apostle Paul, if that's the case, I pray ceaselessly that you will be fully restored. Wrong direction to step back from your networks. Mend the nets. It's used in this context, calling forth praise to God when it was missing. Jesus said, if the children aren't allowed to praise me, the rocks will cry out. In other words, praise to me is missing. Where's the praise to God? And where's the praise to Jesus Christ? Where is his praise? Where is the honor that is due him? It needed to be restored. If need be, through children. If need be, after that, through the rocks and stones. The rocks and stones will cry out. It's used in this context to restore a brother who has fallen in sin. It's used to equip the church with everything good for doing God's will. Let's say you have a beautiful house. You know, well-kept, well-maintained, beautiful house. And you want to change a few things to make it better. You want to get a new piece of furniture for that room. You want to paint that room. You want to put up a little wallpaper over there. What are you doing? You're tweaking your house. You're tweaking it. You're adjusting it. You're editing it. You're 
perfecting it, I guess you would say. It's a good house. It's well-kept, solid house, serves my needs, but I want to polish it. Wax the floor, put up a little wallpaper. This is polishing work. This is perfecting. That is not what the Apostle Paul is talking about. What he's talking about is, whoa, 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 you got a water leak over there. It's creating some rot and mold. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Your wife drove the car into the pillar in the garage. Better straighten that. Whoa. We're not talking about perfecting. We're not talking about making something that is solid and beautiful, polishing it, tweaking it, adjusting it. No, we're talking about fixing it. Whoa, every time we use the toilet too much, it overflows in the basement. We better work on the sewage pipe that leaves the house. We better do something about that. Well, it used to work. I know, it used to work, but now it has to be restored, mended, fixed. And that's what the Greek word kartizo means. It means mend it, fix it. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm praying with, for you guys in Corinth that you be restored, fixed, mended. Examine yourself. I write a great deal written books and stories and so on. I have learned that you can have a great idea, but it's going to require proofing, editing, perfecting, polishing, to bring it to a full uh, accomplishment in the art of writing. But I have also learned that you can lose a page in cyber universe someplace. It just goes, ooh, flies away. Where'd that page go? Where'd that paragraph go? Where'd that chapter go? I've lost entire chapters of books that took many hours to write. Goodbye. Ooh. Now you're not proofreading anymore. You're not polishing the text. You're not trying to get the language cleaned up. Now you're restoring. Now you're putting it something that's been lost. You begin to lose your house through neglect, dirt, rot, disaster. That's when you need to do something other than polish. You can't polish rot. You can't perfect mold. You've got to restore that part of the house. Unanswered prayer now, now we get to the theme of this brief series. What do, you, what do you do when your prayer is not answered in the midst of a trial? You're in a trial and your prayer is not answered. Unanswered prayer, or let me even put it in a more general way, unanswered wishes, unanswered desires, unanswered when the things that you long for and that you want go unfulfilled, it can wear you down. It can discourage you. And it can put you on that path to where you're losing ground. 
It can become the rot and the mold and the water leak in your heart and in your spirit. And it could get you going backwards in Christ. That's when you need restoration. That's when the path is not to perfection. Put that aside for now. Now the path has to be to restoration, to mending, to fixing. When your prayer is not answered, when your desire is not met, when your dreams are not coming true, when your expectations are being frustrated, it can wear you down and it can cause you to start to lose ground in Christ. Dare I say, while you are the only one responsible for judging yourself, I'm not stupid, and I can look around, and I know we have people in this room this morning who have lost ground in Christ. Paul would not allow loss of ground because of unanswered prayer. In verse 5, he tells the Corinthians to examine themselves. How are they supposed to do it? You measure yourself against yourself. You measure the old you against the new you. And of course, you factor in many excuses and rationalizations and justifications for changes that you've experienced. And and that, you know, I used to jump and spin and... uh, shout like a banshee when I was praising the Lord when I was 17 years old. It was a good way for a teenage kid to get a lot of that excess energy out of him. And sweat? Yep, in church. Not only was I very active in praise and worship, but the church had no air conditioning at the time. And we used to not like to really sit next to each other too close in the pews after Brother Bob stopped worship and started into the Word because our sweaty arms would touch each other. Now I don't jump and spin and sweat in church. I'll tell you, it's not because I don't want to. And I measure myself against myself. I measure my present self against my former self. And I say, well, what do you want? I have one knee replacement over here. The other one over here is bone on bone, the doctor told me after an x-ray. I've had neck uh, uh, fusion take place in my neck. And the doctor told me, no running, no jumping. So I jump a little. I'll risk it. So I have some excuses. I have some rationalization. I'm older. 65 years old. I don't even know if I want to act like a 17-year-old or if you'd appreciate it. But you measure yourself against yourself. Measure your former self against your present self. How's it going? How are you doing? Are you on the increase in Christ? Then what you need is perfection. You need to perfect your walk in Christ. Tweak it, adjust it, polish it, improve it. Measure yourself against yourself. Your former self against your present self. 
If you're losing ground here and there, I don't pray so much. I don't read the Bible so much. I don't go to church very often. I'm not very in the thick of the church's ministries. I'm really not. I've kind of retreated to my own little group of friends. I'm not witnessing to anybody ever. My former self did all of those things. I'm helping you think about how to go about examining yourself. You may have very good reasons for some of those things. Might be a season in your life when you have young kids at home. You can't always make it to church, even though some of you do. Even with young kids, and I did. But, you know, we're not here to judge. But it's a season. COVID. COVID killed a lot of churches right here in Onondaga County. The end for a church. COVID. COVID killed a lot of people's, a lot of Christians' attendance at church. They stopped attending church during COVID because it was mandated by the government, and they never went back. They have lost ground in Christ, haven't they? You know what they need? To be restored. They are not even on the road to perfection. Forget that. They need to be restored because they have lost ground in Christ. Churches have lost ground. Unanswered desires can wear you down. So the government says, churches, you've got to stop meeting COVID emergency, blah, 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 blah. We pray. Oh, Lord, reverse this terrible decision. We need to be with each other. And it doesn't get reversed. And and the church leaders cave and they give into it instead of being civilly disobedient. And uh, they, they... shut the doors for a while and go on Zoom or go on YouTube and so, like our church did. And then we don't go to church for a while and, and we're like, um, you know, I didn't die. I didn't go to church and I didn't die. And my family didn't fall apart. You know what? It's not that big a deal going to church or not going to church. Ooh, ooh, ooh. you've lost ground. Because you're a plus to the church when you go to church. And now we have to get by without that plus. So you prayed, oh God, let, it not, let this not take place, and your prayer wasn't answered. When your prayers aren't answered and your children backslide and your children leave the Lord and you pray, there's nothing you prayed about so much. Oh man, it discourages me. One of my kids backslid and I said, what are you trying to do? Destroy me? Are you actually trying to destroy me? Get me to resign being a man of God and be, resign being a, a leader of God's people? Are you trying to destroy me? Because that's how I felt. I expressed how I felt. Sorry for that momentary outburst of frustration, but I'll be honest with you, I didn't lose ground in Christ. I kept on going. I caught a hold of myself, so to speak. Wait a minute, wait a minute, what am I doing? Buck up, bucko. Paul would not allow loss in his own life. I know I'm not the man I was. I was so, and I've admitted this to you before, 
And as a teenager in Christ, I was so accessible to the to the Lord, so willing, so wrapped up in all the affairs of the church, so supportive of whatever our church was doing, so desperate in prayer. Whatever the church was doing, you could count me in 100%. And now I become so much more picky. In the name of wisdom? Well, I'll tell you. I'll be honest with you. When I examine myself, when I measure my current self against my former self, I think wisdom is only a convenient rationalization for deterioration in my walk with Christ. And I'm not, I'm not having it. How about having childlike idealism? Childlike faith? How about a willing heart? Wisdom can just protect a retreat. What is our outlook? An outlook of faith? Where is your energy? Spent on Christ and his church? What is your attitude? Excited and gung-ho? What are the words that come out of your mouth? Encouraging wherever you are? Look again at verse, I think it's uh, 9, 13, 9. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. Did I get that right? Sorry, verse 11. Chapter 13, verse 11. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. Not argument, not contention, not disagreement, not criticism, not putting down. Building up. The Bible's all the time telling us to serve one another. Encourage one another. There are many, quote, one another's in the Bible. Amen, brothers and sisters? To serve or encourage your friend is not quite making it as obedience to those one another verses. The one another verses are purposefully without distinction, without discrimination. Love one another, not only your friends. Support one another, not only your friends. Live at peace with one another, not only your friends. Not only the ones you agree with and you, and you pal with and you buddy with. Like Brother Abel says at the uh, Cuban church that we are in a relationship with, I preached there a few weeks ago, he says, there's only one thing um, mandatory at our church. You've got to love me. And I've got to love you. You don't grow in wisdom and get out of that, right? We're not called to become picky. Quite the contrary. What this morning requires prayer to be restored, mended, Get ready, singers. What have we lost? What needs repair? In verse, uh, chapter, um, 
In verse 9, he says, But he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for you. 12.9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That was not the answer that the Apostle Paul was seeking for. Sufficient for what? Enough for what? Paul wanted to go through life unhindered, unbothered, without the irritation of this thorn in the flesh. The Lord told him, no, grace is enough for you. Grace is enough for you to go through life. The answer we're looking for should not determine our zeal, our attendance, our witnessing, our service, our prayer life, our Bible reading, our fellowship. It should not have an impact on our faith and practice. Don't use old age or sickness as an excuse. Find a new way like many of our old age and ailing brethren are finding ways to stay just involved, just as involved, just as important to the church as ever. They don't need to be restored. Maybe a little perfecting. He, Paul didn't get the answer he was looking for, and neither will you. He got the answer he needed. That's what you'll get. Sufficient for sustaining us on our journey. The, the Apostle Paul said, I was praying. I prayed the third time, and the Lord spoke to me. Well, how about you? Do you pray, and the, then the Lord speaks to you? We have no excuse to draw back. It's a big challenge, I understand. It's a big challenge to see the former things restored. It takes a burst of Holy Spirit energy to see the old things that have been lost, the old ground that has been lost, to see that restored takes an incredible burst of energy and a fight to reclaim that land that was lost. I understand it. Hebrews 10.38 says, I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. The Lord desires us to grow until the end. If we're not growing to the end, we're not enduring. We're not going to cross the finish line if we're headed backwards. The finish line is up there. It's not back there behind me. It's up there ahead of me. We might think that we're doing just fine without the qualities, the character, and the practices that we've lost, that we've let go of. The Lord desires to see us restored. The Lord doesn't want the thorn in the flesh to defeat you. He doesn't want it to put you down. The Lord, doesn't, the law, the Lord is a high tower. He's your rock. He's your hiding place. What you need him to be, he is. He is the wings that cast their shadow over you, their their shadow of protection. He is your shield. He is your buckler. He is that burst of energy that you need to restore what was lost. 1 Peter 5.10 says, The God of grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. 
I can empathize. We carry on with a great fortitude many endeavors in life. But can we not carry on with fortitude our walk in Christ? Our service to the church? Come on, brethren! See, restored what you've you've lost. Some of you have lost. Some of you have taken steps back. Some of you have gotten picky. Some of you are retreating. How about being restored in Christ? Everything fully restored with that burst of Holy Spirit energy. I'll have the singers take over from here. Praise God. You can come up front if you want to come up front and seek the Lord. Your call. You measuring yourself against you. There's a familiar expression. It doesn't exactly come from the Bible, but I think it's very biblical. And that's that uh, your experience can make you better or it can make you bitter. Better or bitter, right? Nice expression. Let's pray about that this morning, okay, brothers and sisters? Oh, Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we ask you for relief from the things that bother us, the things that hinder us and pain us. We ask you for relief, but, oh, Lord, we also recognize with gladness, with rejoicing, with praise, that the final decision is your decision. We put it into your hands. We are comfortable, O Lord, with your guidance. We are comfortable, O Lord, with your support. We are comfortable, O Lord, with your presence in our lives, O God. You are so good, O Lord. O God, keep bitterness from our hearts. Keep bitter thoughts from our minds, O God. O Lord, let your kingdom Come to this world in our hearts and in our, in our minds. Oh, Lord, keep us from bitterness. Save us, oh, Lord, from the bitter pill. Oh, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, let our trials and tribulations make us better. Let even prayers that are not answered that we, the way we want make us better in you, oh, Lord. Let us get revelations of you. Let us realize things. Let us be humbled before you, broken before you, learning as, at your feet praising you for your control and your, and your oversight in the matter. Oh, Lord, we praise you. We give you glory. We give you our trials. Oh, Lord God, we want to praise you in everything. We want to give you glory in everything we go through. Oh, Lord, knowing that you're with us, that you love us, that you support us, that you will never leave us or forsake us. We know it, oh God, and we cling to it. And we hold it to our hearts, oh God, your presence and your power in our lives. And we thank you for it with a thankful heart in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Be with all my brothers and sisters as they go their separate ways this morning. And bring a good bunch back tonight for prayer service, oh Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you.